And hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of HBS Legal Trends. I'm John Ray, and we have a terrific show today, and it's quite timely, on the legal implications of using artificial intelligence, AI, in your business. And with us, we have the two practice leaders of the data privacy and cybersecurity practice area of Hallbooth Smith with us, Richard Shanus and Jade Davis. Richard, Jade, welcome. Good afternoon, John. Good to be with you today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks to Yeah, thank you, Jade. Thanks, Richard. Thanks to both of you for being here. Let's um maybe the the way to start is cover some basics. Um I don't think it's too basic a question to simply ask what is artificial intelligence because there's a lot of information out there, some of which is um, appropriate and some of which is not. Um, let, let's talk about that first. So artificial intelligence has been around for years. It's now become popularized mainstream, but essentially it's any sort of computer system that's used to perform tasks that require human intelligence, but it's doing it automatically by, use, by using visual perception, speech recognition, facial recognition. And um, now we have deep machine learning, which also adds to machine decision-making once it receives inputs. So you say it's been around a few years. Now, see, that's news to some people, right, Jade? Because a lot of people think, oh, this is just something I've heard of in the last year or so, and they associate it with chat GPT. Talk about where we've been using AI for some time and maybe just haven't realized it. Yeah, so our face ID on our phones is a good example. Uh, it uses, uh, it can see in 3D. Mm-hmm. It actually takes um, a 3D visualization graphic. It's like 30,000 infrared dots. And that's how you it can tell if it's you unlocking your phone, social media, right? Everyone's on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, my login to the same social media homepage, uh, for example, Facebook will look completely different from yours because it's personalized. And there's an algorithm that carries it based on uh, people I'm connected to, things that I search, um, email, uh, spam filtering. AI is involved in spam filtering. Uh, Google searches, it's personalized. Um, so even though you can find some rankings on Google, depending on your history of searching, Google will actually personalize your search. Uh, voice assistants, smart home devices like Alexa, that's AI. Uh, so it's it's been here. We're just not really thinking about it in that way. Yeah, um, for sure. And and but you mentioned something there that probably also needs a definition. You mentioned machine learning. So what's the difference between machine learning and artificial intelligence? Yeah. So machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence. It's basically where you are training a machine to learn information and improve performance over time. So For example, yesterday I went to the doctor's office and the doctor was super excited to tell me about this AI tool that they recently found out from a colleague that will listen to the entire visit. 
And um, he was super excited about it because typically he would have to type in his notes after the visit or he would dictate. Mm. Whereas this AI tool did more than dictation. It listened to the entire visit and I was able to see the summary at the end where there may have been a subject talked about throughout the visit. It sort of compiled it. And then after the visit and after he turned it off, (laughs) because I didn't want to interrupt the visit, I explained to him the implications, you know, of um, physician client confidentiality, um, all those things. He was completely baffled and didn't think about it. Right. So these are uh, cool, quick tools that we're using um, and they're going to the next level with machine learning. Oh boy, when you brought up HIPAA violations, that really got oh. some attention there, didn't it? Didn't it? Oh yeah. He was like, Oh, what do you mean? I mean, it's my account. And I'm like, Yeah, but does, you know, did the practice, you know, approve that? Do you know what the policies are? And he was just completely floored about it and said he was gonna take it to <laughs> some charge to figure out what they can do that would be HIPAA compliant. I think you did more for him than he did for you that day. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, potentially. Uh, wow. Well, <laughs> so we know that this this technology is being uh, rapidly assimilated. It's growing. Uh, its tentacles are going through all throughout business. Talk talk about just give us some a sense of that growth, if you will. Yeah, it's been astronomical. I mean, I think a few years ago, there were projections that we would go um, to 27 billion. And from there, we'd be at, you know, 200. Um, we've surpassed that. Now the projections are quadruple that. Mm. And um, even today, there's not much that we're using from a te- technological standpoint that isn't incorporating AI. It's inevitable. We're going to have to use it in some respects. We're already using it now. And so it's really important that we figure out the best way to do so, so that we can limit liability. Right. What What are the, I mean, there are a lot of different angles to this that you can, in directions that you can go. Um, what I mean, and those include like whether it's voice reg- recognition, chat bots, um, uh, it, it, it B2B matchmaking. I mean, there's a whole lot of different aspects where AI plays out. So how do you counsel clients about the, the directions that they should go? I mean, there's a business case. There's also a legal issue with each of these, um, with each of these, right? Yeah, absolutely. So my colleague, Rich, is really good at this. You know, we will get on the phone with a client. And the first question is, you know, what are you currently doing? When you think about AI, what do you think you actually want to use it for? Um, What would you like to do more in your business? What things are you looking at or trending? And because there may be things that they may not know that are actually capable um, or AI centric. And once we figure out what the goals are for the business or the organization and where they're going, um, they may already be using some format of it. We can help them figure out 
how to use and do what they're currently doing, how to make that better, and then give them ideas and recommendations for other uses. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, there's a risk and reward to all of this, right? So, and I assume that's really what you're talking about in terms of taking clients through the risk reward analysis of all that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, maybe 10 years ago, you could be on the side of, well, we're just not going to use it because we don't really know much about it. Sort of like email. There were people that said that they wouldn't ever use email. I frankly could not imagine not using email. I certainly wouldn't be employed if I couldn't get into my email. Um, so it's one of those things that you're going to have to understand it to a certain extent, no matter what industry you're in. And um, given the current modern marketplace, especially from a small business standpoint, it's inevitable because otherwise you're going to be put out of business from a cost standpoint. We'll, we'll talk about the, some of the risk in a second, but I'm, I'm just curious about when uh, a company needs to have this conversation with professionals like you um, do. I mean, there's a whole lot of tools that come out every day, literally every day. I mean, do I need to be in touch with you every time I'm considering a new tool or, or do I need to have a policy around that, that governs what I, uh, um, you know, the tools that I, I use, how, how, sh how should I think about that as a business? So that's a Rich, you want to answer that one? You want to finish yeah. up or do you want me to jump in? You can start that one. Uh, so, so, John, yeah, it, it's really not a matter of starting over, in a sense, every time there's a, an AI tool that, that a company is interested in. And, you know, one of the things that I think is important for folks to understand is AI is very unregulated in this country. Mm. at this point. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it goes back to, uh, we don't even have a comprehensive data privacy federal law uh, across industries. We have HIPAA, but that's only for the health industry, the medical industry, or something called Gramm-Leach-Bliley. That's only the financial industry. Uh, just this week, there were hearings um, uh, in the Senate I think it's Tuesday of this week. And then yesterday there was a closed door session where the Senate invited in what I call the, the big dogs in technology, the, the Googles, Amazons, Meta, and so forth, to talk about responsible use of AI. Now, they have these hearings, but you know, there have been hearings about data privacy in the past. And in fact, I think Senator Jerry Moran from Kansas might have expressed a little bit of frustration saying, you know, we, we haven't even been able to pass a data privacy law. We're jumping ahead now getting into AI. Mm -hmm. um, so, so really there are just no regulations from a federal comprehensive across all industry perspective. So it really comes down to each company being able to develop their own framework for how AI can or should be used responsibly um, and benefit the company without creating risks because 
even if there's not regulatory risks that uh, one of the federal agencies like the FTC will come along and institute an enforcement action for a violation, you could still open yourself up to uh, other types of penalties like Jade was talking about a few minutes ago with an experience with a physician. If they're using it and it's, it's this cool new tool and this is going to be great, but they might not be thinking about the HIPAA implications of it those types of things. So they can still run afoul. So it's a matter of developing a good framework for how it should be approached. And then anytime there's a an AI tool that potentially could help out a business, they look at it within that framework. Now, when, one piece of this that, and I, I, I want to get into some of the risk here in a second, um, but it, it, what I keep hearing kind of, you know, in terms of uh, boots on the ground, as it were, is that a lot of work is getting done by employees in the, you know, the rank and file using AI, maybe using, let's say, chat GPT, that maybe their bosses don't know about. So talk about that particular issue, or I don't know if you call it an issue or if you call it a problem, but let's talk about it. Yeah, that's, you've hit a, a nail on the head there. And that's one of the things that policies would be designed to hopefully prevent, mm-hmm. which is employees going rogue. Now we, you know, most businesses, they want to give their employees the best tools possible to get their job done. But at the same time, you want to make sure that it's done in, in a, in a safe fashion um, I'll give you uh, some examples. Uh, in, in going back to the medical industry, there's AI diagnostic tools uh, that supposedly can diagnose conditions, uh, medical issues to a, a higher degree of accuracy than uh, human beings can, or they can detect cancer cells before human beings might might detect it, mm-hmm. uh, that type of thing. But you want to know who's doing what, because what if those things are wrong? What if there's no human backup, if you will, uh, checking on it? And so it can create liability that way if you don't have some you know, guardrails around it, how it's going to be done. Um, you know, other areas, um, if it's used, let's say in a business context, and maybe someone uses AI to create a business uh, presentation, mm-hmm. they're pitching to a client to get business, but it says things that are incorrect, that are wrong. Mm. Uh, what is it doing to business? How is it affecting business? Uh, are they putting maybe confidential information out there? get product from AI, you have to put information in, you give it some facts and it will spit back at you. Maybe that business presentation. Uh, well, have you possibly disclosed some confidential information in order for AI to develop that presentation? And then who knows who else has access to that confidential, confidential information about your business. Mm. So those are some ways in which rogue employees without thinking they, they don't intend to do anything bad, but without thinking about and knowing all the ramifications and can get off the rails and do some damage to the company uh, very innocently. 
let's let's talk about uh, specifically some of these risks beyond the, the 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 issue of employees and their usage of it, and and you you touched on this in the answer you just gave, Richard, but the data privacy and security. What what are some some of the other data privacy and security implications of AI and risk that that companies need to be aware of? Sure. So on the data privacy side, uh, uh, something I've seen is a company wants to develop a uh, marketing plan or a marketing strategy. And so they dump a load of data into an AI program to get some type of uh, product that will develop a strategy for them. But in order for that strategy to be developed, the company maybe had to provide information about their current customers. Uh, What are the age groups of their customers? What are the income levels of their customers? Different things like that about customers, even down to things like IP addresses or email addresses, which are also personal information under uh, some of our uh, uh, data privacy laws. So they're dumping that out there and they might be disclosing personal information inappropriately. It might go further than that. Uh, Once it's in the hands of the AI program, do we know what the AI program is doing with it? Because let's keep in mind the way AI develops is they take as much information as they can for the computer to learn, like Jade was saying with machine learning. Mm-hmm. So are they, is that AI program using your data, which might be personal information of customers, to enhance their ability to develop products for their other clients? Things of that nature. Uh, on, the, on the privacy side, on the security side, what is uh, concerning is... Uh, the bad guys have access to AI as well. AI is being used to develop uh, malware, ransomware that, that most people are familiar with. Uh, social engineering is getting even better uh, with AI. Uh, a Someone that I know received a call that they thought was from their daughter who lives in another country the daughter said she got in some trouble. She was arrested. She needs $25,000. And the person I know that received the call was absolutely convinced it was her daughter that Mm. was calling. And she eventually, fortunately, her husband realized, no, let's check this out. And they, they called. And no, there was no problem. But AI created that phone call. So they could do it like that. They could do it in business, call up a business and say, oh, by the way, you haven't paid that $5,000 invoice Mm. that you owe us. Maybe they get a check for $5,000 and maybe it was paid, you know, and a lot of times those things won't work, but uh, AI makes the bad guys better. It might not be the best grammar, but that's what it does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, let's talk about the problem of bias. That's another risk you've identified. That is, that's actually been at the front of the um, Senate hearings 
one thing that the FTC uh, and the FTC has already had enforcement actions regarding deception. That's really where they come in from the consumer standpoint. Um, but it encompasses a lot of things, unfair business practices. What we see a lot now are fake reviews, um, things that are not actually from a consumer. And so some enforcement actions that they have taken are telling consumers how to evaluate online reviews. And if they aren't, um, you know, real or if a business is utilizing a platform to um, promote across social media and other uh, marketing platforms to consumers with fake information, uh, fake people, fake followers. Um, they've actually been enforcing that. So that's been one of the topics this week. Um, bias also encompasses inputs, right? So we have to give foundational information into uh, um, the AI platform in order for it to then begin to synthesize that information, to make it better, to combine it with other inputs from other users. And depending on what those inputs are, there can be um, harm. So mm -hmm. for example, there was a use case regarding um, recommendations for jobs, and they found that uh, more blue-collar positions were, were uh, recommended for minorities versus um, other races. And it's, so it's, it's a big deal, and that's something that everyone's trying to figure out at the top level, you know, how you get by it. Um, I don't think that we're going to get by it completely because we're all biased, you know, and mm -hmm. we're all inputting information. Yeah. And it, it, it strikes me that this is the, the classic garbage in garbage out, uh, uh, issue, right? That if, if you've got a bad data set that has some sort of bias in it, um, uh, whatever form that bias takes, uh, you can get a false sense of security by get, getting ready answers that look like uh, pretty pretty um, spot on kind of answers that you're you're getting out of that that um, can really lead you astray. Yeah, one thing that Rich and I have um, been doing is making sure that our clients double and triple check what they get, what their outputs are. Mm -hmm. uh, so certainly you can utilize those platforms, but you also want to double and triple check the information you're getting. You want to edit it. A lot of AI tools, um, for example, OpenAI, ChatGPT, it actually provides, um, you know, that you can't rely on the, on the outputs. And so they're putting that in their own use policies. Unfortunately, people don't really read those like they should, uh, but it's there, and it's important that before you just publish, you you double check. I am shocked to hear that people do not read what they're supposed to read. I'm <laughs> shocked to hear that. Uh, <laughs> folks, we're here chatting with uh, Richard Shanus and Jay Davis, and they are the leaders of the data privacy and cybersecurity practice at Hall Booth Smith. Um, uh, Real quickly, but, but let's talk about cost 
prohi- cost prohibitive AI. That's I don't. I, that's probably one piece of this that a lot of businesses don't think about because all they see is free sometimes on on it, when it, it comes to using Chat GPT or what have you. Uh, but but some of these tools can get expensive. Yeah, that I think is just just part of any of the uh, business analysis that that a company would do. Uh, a lot of them, I think, they entice you a little bit with the free version. Not unlike a lot of apps that I think we see uh, out there that are available on our devices. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's and that's another area uh, where you need some type of best practice policy within the company. So that someone doesn't just sign up, say, oh, this looks pretty good. Let me sign up for it, not realizing what the bill is going to be. Uh, just the same as you, you, you would not want someone going out and buying some you know, million-dollar uh, machine to put on the assembly line without going through proper channels. Uh, same thing with um, AI. I think we'll just see a proliferation and a little bit of probably some uh you know price war uh, type of thing i know obviously chat gpt is the the popular one but of course they're going to be uh more and more and it's just part of the process of evaluating the cost sure sure well let's talk about good policies and procedures that companies need to have uh where, where where does a company start there in formulating uh, such policies and procedures, Richard? Sure. So the first step is really deciding how the purchase or use of AI is going to be governed. Is there a a single person that is over it? Is it a committee? Um, So that when there is an interest in an AI program, uh, it has to be brought before that person or the committee uh, with certain information about it, including what you were just talking about being the cost, how it's going to be used, what type of information will be provided to it, what are the uh, procedures for evaluating the use of, of the product or deliverable that you get and not just accept it, because we all know that there are errors uh, that, that it gives. There's a story that uh, somewhat humorous, but, but not really of a lawyer, and I think it was in New York, that wrote a brief, a legal brief, using chat GPT and submitted it to the court. Well, chat GPT got it wrong. It referenced legal cases in there that did not exist. Uh, things of that nature. And the judge caught it. This attorney did not check their work or did not check the GPT's work. And the judge caught it. And this lawyer got into a lot of trouble. Mm. Um, So it's that type of thing. So that there's some some type of process to check the accuracy. Who's Mm. going to do that? So it's really a a formula from who's over the program and what is the defined process for any product, any AI program you want to use. What does it do? How is it used? Submit it, get permission for it, 
and then keep tabs on it and evaluate it over time, not just for accuracy, but also evaluate it for maybe something like bias. Is it producing bias results? And also evaluate it for uh, you know a, a cost analysis. Are we getting our money's worth out of this? So all those things to keep it in line, as opposed to one employee just saying, this looks pretty good, I'm going to give it a try. Yeah, I mean, the, some of these things that you mentioned seem uh, pretty, uh, I guess they're kind of elements of it that companies would guess would be part of it. Certainly responsibilities and, and uh, the the scope and purpose of the policy. But one one thing that you advocate is the the reporting of it. And I'm just curious how you see that. I know every company is different. Every industry is different and, and their use cases are different. Um, but how are, how do companies need to think about uh, the reporting aspects of uh, that, that assure accountability and transparency? Well, I think that there has to be, again, depending upon the company, a person or a team or committee that will uh, evaluate the product. And at the beginning, it would be more on a, uh, a basis of, of, let's see the first time it's used, how this works out. And then as time goes on, if it's been determined to be a reliable product, then it might be just on a more random basis. But you also have to have the people who are knowledgeable in that particular field. Let's say it was in the field of uh, architecture and using AI to design uh, a building. Well, it, it doesn't pay to have me review the product that you get from AI. I don't know anything about architecture. Mm-hmm. You have to have the appropriate people that can evaluate it. If it's a medical program that is supposed to identify the presence of cancer cells in, uh, in a medical test, well, you have to have the uh, appropriate medical personnel to check the results uh, that you're getting from the AI program. Because obviously, if there's cancer present and the machine misses it, that's a big deal. For sure. Uh, so let's let's review some of the, as companies start AI implementation, uh, talk about some of the best practices they need to think about as they do that. So the, the first thing to start with is uh, going through developing some of these procedures that we have uh, talked about. And... <clears throat> No one uses AI until we have all of this set up. And, and we work with a number of companies on developing that type of framework that is appropriate for them. Uh, because go, going back to AI, it can be like a new toy. This is a lot of fun and we want to play with it. But if we play with it, we, we want to make sure that it's done safely. So it's really developing that framework who is in charge, what are the reviews that are done, and really getting all this down in writing, making sure all the people who have the potential for using AI are aware of what's going on and doing some education and continuing or continuously monitoring that process 
and reporting on that process. And the monitoring and reporting might get less frequent as time goes on and the product has proven itself, but it does not go away. And maybe instead of doing it every week or every every deliverable, it's done quarterly. But always has to be be updated and everyone stay within those guardrails. And you have to update according to what regulatory framework might at some point get uh, get passed. Mm-hmm. We do still have data privacy. A number of states have their own state data privacy laws. And dealing with AI is, is if it deals with personal information, you have to pay attention to those laws uh, as well. So it's it's really getting that that framework and putting the uh, you know whoa Nelly on it until we get some order to it and and decide how we can use that. Yeah, and one of the things you talk about in terms of as you try to uh, fo- implement and then follow policies that you put in place, uh, you, you mentioned reporting. We talked about that. Um, monitoring and enforcement and also audits who who knew we, we were going to need to hire ai auditors uh <laughs> a few years ago that sounds like that's in our future yeah it, it, it could be an outside person that that does some auditing it could be internal i think it would depend upon the the sensitivity sensitivity and expertise uh of what is needed uh it could also be um, making sure that it is compliant with any you know, regulatory uh, issues that might be there. You know, uh, NIST, NIST, they passed uh, a framework. Uh, Europe is really more active. If, if companies are doing business in Europe, they are a little bit more active in issuing uh, regulations or guidance uh, with most issues, uh, technology and data privacy, and also with uh, AI, uh, and the ethics part, um, that is very big. So as we wrap up here, let, let's, let's talk about maybe, um, as all this unfolds, uh, what, what are some of the other, uh, pitfalls that companies need to be aware of, um, Maybe one way to answer the question is just what you've seen out there from companies that you mentioned the attorney and not checking their work uh, before you turn it into a judge. I can't even imagine what that reaction must have been like. Um, but um, <laughs> talk about talk about some of those um, uh, maybe mistakes that you've seen that that others can learn from. Um, what, what, let, let, let's wrap it up here in terms of what companies need to to uh, uh, think about that maybe you haven't already mentioned? I'll just say one thing, and maybe Jade could add on to it. If I was going to put it at the top of the list, it would be keep in mind that, that AI is not magic. It's not a situation where you provide information or ask a question or please provide a marketing presentation for us to pitch to a client, and what you get back is automatically perfect. Uh, That to me right now is the biggest risk is just relying on untested AI without proper oversight. That's the top of my list. 
Okay. Okay. Jade? Top of my list would be making sure that you are going back to the drawing board regularly, talking with your employees, talking with your contracted vendors, making sure you're aware of everything that everyone is using and you're updating. Because if you're not updating it, you don't know what new tool or new thing, new plugin someone decided to use and they didn't think about it. You know, sometimes you have these approved use policies, but often you don't think about it. Oh, wait, this is something I may want to tell legal or tell the IT department. And if those controls aren't there from a technological standpoint and someone can add a plugin or use an application, it's important that you're aware of it. Yeah, boy, you brought up a whole, that, that, that may be a whole nother show on talking about how, how you inter, intersect with, with vendors and other outside third parties that you, that are using AI in ways that you're not even aware of. Right. So, wow. You've hit on a great point there, Jade. So, well, this has been terrific and I can't imagine that there aren't some folks that, uh, upon hearing this episode, want to know more, wouldn't want to know more. So let's give coordinates on how they can get in touch with both of you, uh, uh, Richard Jade, uh, if, if both of you could give the coordinates on how folks can find you. Sure. Uh, email address is, is always easiest. Uh, and, and just for uh, some context, I am based in our firm's Charlotte office. Jade is based in our Tampa office. But we, we work nationally. This is not the type of thing that is uh, restricted to any particular region. And just my email address, rshanis, that's R-S-H-E-I-N-I-S, at Paul Booth Smith. Dot com and my office number 980-859-0381. Thanks, John. Thank you. Jade? Yeah, likewise. My email is jdavis, J-D-A-V-I-S, at hallboothsmith.com. We also have a newsletter and blog online and content at hallboothsmith.com, and we have a page for the practice area. Uh, it'll include our information, other team members, and uh, updates. Terrific. Richard Shanus and Jay Davis, they are the practice leaders uh, for the data privacy and cybersecurity practice area of Hall Booth Smith. Richard, Jay, thank you again for joining us. And folks, just a reminder that HBS Legal Trends is brought to you by Hall Booth Smith and the, the attorneys at HBS work alongside businesses of all sizes and across industries to safeguard data, protect privacy, identify potential weaknesses, and reduce the likelihood of breaches. Their, their clients receive the attention, expertise, and cost effectiveness of a smaller law firm with a full service and strong regional presence and national presence, as Richard pointed out, that's typical of a large firm. At HBS, the promise is serving to achieve excellence. 
Again, for more information, you can go to Hall Booth Smith. So for my guest, Richard Shanus and Jade Davis, I am John Ray. Join us next time on HBS Legal Trends. (laughs) 